Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Much like uh, the host of this podcast, Steve Eisenman is true to his brand. Absolutely nothing all day. I had tweets drafted. I had episode notes ready to go about an underwhelming trade deadline day. I had everything prepared to talk about, you know, Glenn Denning not moving and and no bites on Bernier. And then it's not even the 11th hour. It's the 13th hour. Like after the deadline has passed, we're just getting the reports of what's in the hopper. And we find out that bombshell biggest trade uh, of the trade deadline, biggest trade the Red Wings have made in uh, God knows how long. Anthony Mantha gets dealt to the Capitals. And I now have no time to uh, make dinner or eat dinner before we, as we record this. Um, all the plans went out the window. Uh, some random follower has to eat Winged Wheel Podcast flip flops now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story we'll get into later in the episode for those who are very confused. Just when you think you're slipping into that, like, death embrace of just a dead rebuilding season with absolutely nothing happened you will do anything just to feel alive for a moment the fire is reignited and all of a sudden red wings fandom is ablaze is a good word to put it a good way to put it i think oh boys what a past two hours i have not breathed i don't think and the best part the best worst part is the news of that trade didn't come down to like 3 30 so the deadline came and gone, and we're all sitting here like stunned that the Red Wings made zero trades today. Glenn Denning didn't move. Bernier didn't move. We're like, geez, like we know the Red Wings didn't have a lot to play with, but something had to have happened, right? And then Kevin Weeks just drops. Mantha's been traded to the Capitals for uh, Verona, Panic, and more. And more. Uh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> the Twitter, not just Red Wings Twitter, but hockey Twitter exploded because it was one of those moments. There was that window of what? What? And more? What is the more? What's happening? We need to know the more. It was a roller coaster of emotion that I don't think anybody fully properly processed, uh, even to this point, because A, we didn't know what the return was initially. Then we got the return and we were happy, but then we remembered, oh, we really like Anthony Mantha. This is sad. But then you dive into Jakob Vranamore and you're like, oh, well, this helps. And it's like, oh, and a first round pick. This is great. And then, oh, the Capitals play in the East Division. So this first round pick could be around 20 if they get bounced in the first round. Wow, this is so much to process. And here we are, like not even two hours later, and, and it's still just bouncing around my brain brain like a bouncy ball in a friggin' padded room would it i think it would bounce less in a padded room but yeah maybe that's that a good a way to describe i was gonna go with like a mental asylum joke and then i was gonna go with a bouncing joke and it just it <laughs> it didn't work on, it didn't really work on either front honestly why did you save it to me no I, I i was saying you should save brad he's spiraling no this is, <laughs> this is better Actually, kind of helps my point of still unable to really process what happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. This is our trade deadline recap edition. As you can tell, we are just as frenzied about this whole trade uh, as you all are, but we are going to be here to recap uh, first and foremost this trade, uh, as well as all of the other trades that the Red Wings did uh, and didn't make this trade deadline. Uh, and then if we have time, we'll take a look around the league and uh, we'll see what time we have for uh, overtime questions and everything like that. It might be a little limited today. Uh, but without further ado, I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, Evan, if you could uh, calm down a little bit there, I think you need to maintain a little bit of professionalism on the podcast. Uh, for any new listeners, welcome. Um, this is an exciting episode to tune into. Like I mentioned before, it's been a funny Red Wing season that way. Uh, while I have everyone's attention, though, I did want to very quickly say uh, that while your ears are here, uh, we want to talk about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative and was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father, who you'll know as Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provides support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which we hope you do, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. All right, guys. Uh, usually there's a little bit of a stepwise process to this because we haven't had an exciting trade deadline for the Red Wings like this in the past, but we have to start by talking about the very last trade that was made by Steve Eisenman. At the last moment, you have to imagine this was done with minutes or seconds to spare based on how late after the deadline it was announced. Anthony Mantha moved to the Washington Capitals, traded with absolutely no salary retained in exchange for uh, a 2021 first round pick, a 2022 second round pick, uh, Jacob Verana and Richard Panic. First thoughts? Well, there is so much to digest in this trade. Even taking out the emotional factor of losing one of your favorite players because there are intricacies to this trade that need to be factored in in the overall grade of it. So starting with the first or second biggest piece, depending how you look at this, Jakob Vrana. So he's the classic case of a good player buried on a strong team because he's by per 60 metrics – Better than Anthony Mantha has performed. He's done better than Anthony Mantha has. Goals per 60, points per 60. But he only plays 13 to 15 minutes a game, obviously, because he's playing behind Ovechkin, Backstrom, Wilson, Oshie, etc. Um, he has fallen out of favor with the coaching staff there. He has been healthy scratch this year. He is a very different style of player than Anthony Mantha. That being said, all that being said... He has had back-to-back 20-plus goal seasons. His career high is 25, which coincidentally is the same as Anthony Mantha. I think he and Mantha both have 11 goals this year, so all things considered, they're performing at about the same pace. Their point totals, very similar over the last couple of years, including this season. The catch-22 with that is Washington Capitals are a much stronger team. Detroit Red Wings are a much weaker team. But that almost is balanced out by the fact how little ice time Verona was getting and the fact that Mantha spent a good amount of his time playing with Dylan Larkin. So this could go a lot of ways. So you can prop each of them up based on certain statistics and you can bring some of them down based on certain circumstances with where they're playing. So I'll write it off as mostly a wash. 
Mantha does get the added motivation of going to a playoff contender and a Stanley Cup contender. Verona gets the added motivation of, well, it's a contract here for him and he's on a new team. So it restricted free agents. So the Red Wings still do control his. Where will he? Yeah. He's going to get way bigger minutes. Good yeah. thing for Verona is he has no points in any playoff games he's played in. He won't have to worry about that this year. <laughs> I could have sworn I just watched a goal of him scoring in the Stanley Cup finals. I meant the past two. Did I not say that? Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. Um, but either way, so. And Verona, I believe, is one or two years younger than Anthony Mantha. I know he was the draft after Mantha. So 2014 first rounder, adding to a theme. So there's not that the grand point there being there's not that much of a drop off from Mantha to Verana. I, I still think Mantha is a superior player, but not by a considerable amount. Um, and again, that's as as you guys mentioned, without the boosted role, he's should get a lot more minutes on the Red Wings, and he should feature way more prominently on the power play than obviously he would have on one of the best power plays in hockey history. Um, so all that factor in right there is a really, really good starting point to the trade. The next two biggest assets are obviously the 2021 first round pick and the 2022 second round pick. So the 2021 first is, is a wild card and it is a true wild card because a it's a pandemic draft. Players are underviewed, under scouted. Some leagues, ha- the OHL hasn't even played, and from the looks of the shutdown in Ontario now, will not play this year. So there's that whole caveat. Um, good players will fall because of that, but they won't be scouted. So the Red Wings might pass on them entirely. So you have that first wild card with this pick. The second, the Capitals play in the strongest division in the NHL. So even though I think they're leading that division as we speak, there is a good chance they get bounced in the first round, which means that pick is around 20. Pick 20, which is amazing value. That's tremendous value. That being said, the Capitals are also a likely team to win the Stanley Cup this year. So that could be pick 32. So... That adds an extra little bit of a caveat, but I like the gamble there from Eisenman on that. A, se- a late second round pick next year, always good. But Richard Ponick is a decent player. He he strikes me as the type of player Jeff Blashill is going to hate. Um, and he's got two years left. Let's call a spade a spade here. Richard Ponick was not a positive asset gained in this trade. The reason, one of the reasons the Red Wings got so much for Anthony Mantha in terms of the first, the second, and Verona was because they were taking Ponick's contract from the Capitals and freeing up their cap space. So this was one of the cap flexes that we had all hoped Iserman would utilize at some point. We would. There's another one that happened this weekend, but this was added to that. So if you want to look at this in the traditional sense, you could almost break this trade down into two parts. It's not quite that clean, but you could, where the Capitals gave the Red Wings a second round pick to unload Ponick's contract, and then the Red Wings essentially traded Mantha for Verona and a first, although uh, that second round pick is rich for just taking on Ponick's contract. So it's not yeah. quite an even split, but you can almost view the trade in that sense. So what that all boils down to is this was a fantastic trade for the Red Wings. They got younger with Verona. They got a lot younger with the first and the second round pick. 
hey, I think Mantha's going to go blow up in Montreal. And that's fine. Nobody should panic when that happens. He's going to be playing on a great team. He has a lot to play for. He's going to Washington, be... Brad. What did I say? <laughs> Montreal. <laughs> Montreal. That was in our brain for so long. I just assumed it was going to happen. But Habs conditioned ourselves. Acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that hypothetical so much. You just same team colors. He's going to blow up in Washington and nobody should be upset or rattled when that happens. Yeah. It's expected. I, we've, we've talked forever about, Hey, Mantha seems like the exact type of guy that when the Red Wings make the playoffs, he could go on an absolute heater because he's done that in meaningless games before. So obviously it makes sense. He would do it in meaningful games. So if Mantha pops off for, you know, 20, 25 points in a playoff run and the Caps win the cup. Great. We're happy for Anthony. We should not be upset about that. That is a very likely thing to happen. We still have the two picks. We still have Verona. Verona, like I said, is younger and the picks are obviously long-term assets. So great trade. Uh, I, I think Mantha's going to be happy. And obviously we as Red Wings fans should be very happy. Yeah. So this is a trade uh, that we talked about a lot this season, especially kind of after the new year. It's something that Red Wings fans didn't really want to talk about, you know, last summer. And that's to be fair. Mantha had just signed his extension. It was a great contract in terms of value, uh, good team control, that kind of thing. And, and he's him being one of Detroit's most talented players um, in terms of, you know, raw skill level. It's not really a fun thing to talk about trading that player. Detroit doesn't have a lot of nice things right now. And so it's not exactly a, a comfortable conversation. But as we started to consider the timeline of the Red Wings moving forward, um, and, you know, Elliot Friedman confirmed this on air today as well, that it was this was more of a timing thing with the rebuild. Eisman expects the rebuild to progress well beyond when uh, uh, Mantha is going to be in his prime. Um, once you bring all that in, this is just good asset management. Um, it's a complicated thing to say. He definitely should have traded Mantha. I was kind of surprised um, only because Mantha is obviously not having a great season, right? Um, Eisenman acknowledged that in his presser. He didn't seem too pressed by it. He said, you know, a lot of really good players uh, are having uh, uh, bad seasons. A lot of really bad players are having good seasons. Um, it's kind of all over the board here. But still. This, I think, is within range of what is a reasonable return for for Mantha. Uh, I think you put it really well, Brad. You Once you break it down into all of its components, and it's not so black and white, but if you spread it into those two pieces where, you know, you get the first in Verona for Mantha or, and then the Red Wings get a second for taking on Ponic, like, that's fantastic. It's not comfortable for Red Wings fans because they're still losing a great player. And you're absolutely right. Washington will probably bring out the best in Mantha. I hope they can tap into all the raw talent that kind of remained hidden for a lot of the time here in Detroit. Um, but you cannot be mad at this return. You can't be mad at getting a first, a, an extra first round Wait, pick. People are upset about the return? No, no, I don't think so. I'm just saying, like, for anyone who's a, a huge fan of Mantha, it's it's never an easy thing to get rid of one of your team's best players. I would have done it for Verona in a second. Would you have, really? Yeah. I would if that was the return. I would have rather uh, have hold it, held out until next year to see if his play would uh, jump back up. Yeah, you're, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm Wild West baby, just loose and <laughs> loosey goosey. I just let it go. Me and Lou Lamorell would be poker buddies. Oh well, I mean, Lou, presumably Lou would crush you. Yeah, you have, have too to much. Have sure, you have too much facial hair for it. Also true. <laughs> uh, 
anyways, in short, I think it's a fantastic return. This is a return I would have been happy for if Mantha was having a better season. So this is really, really good uh, from Izuman. It turned what was going to be an altogether disappointing trade deadline into a, a great one and a really exciting one for Red Wings fans. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I expect Verona to be flipped in the future too. Like, yes, he's a year and a half younger than Mantha, but I, if Mantha's going to be outside of the timeline, there's a chance Verona gets moved here too. Could be like a he thrives and then you pump and dump and see what else you can get from him. Yeah, I, I think I saw Reese float that idea today, and it's it's very well possible. And I, I looked it up while you're talking. I was wrong about one thing. Verona is actually two years younger than Mantha. Mantha's in '94 birthday. Verona's in '96, so um, he's going to be 25 years old this year. I mean, he's in range. Um, we've been talking three to five years for the Red Wings. So if it is the closer to the three, which I think we all hope it will be, and given the absolute wealth of picks and prospects they have right now, I, I think that's reasonable factoring in the roster flexibility Steve has with basically two contracts signed beyond next year. Actually, literally two, Larkin and uh, Ponick. Um Verona will only be 28 then, or turning 28 then, so... That's not unreasonable, whereas we were talking in that window, Mantha would be 30. So it, it doesn't sound like a big difference, but when you start getting into the late 20s, that is around where a guy will drop off. So gaining two years on Verona does matter, and that does make a difference. Now, everybody has a different curve, so who the hell knows? And and Verona is a much quicker player than Anthony Mantha, so who knows if that impacts his aging curve more. But it's it's very much an option, and if his if he gets power play time and big minutes and starts putting up thirty plus goals a year, and then you know it gets down to the time, yeah, sure, that's a pretty valuable asset. But the catch twenty two is if you go to trade him in three to four years, are you flipping one of your better players as you're starting to make the playoffs as you're rising the ranks? Then you. That's when you're a buyer at the deadline and in the offseason, not a seller. So there could be a hockey trade to be made there, but we also got to be careful with that because if they are flipping him, it's going to have to be sooner than later, A, while his value is higher, and B, while the Red Wings are still quote-unquote sellers. Yeah, I see a situation where Verona gets those top line minutes. Like Eiserman said in the press conference today, he's going to be replacing Mantha in his role in the team. So, you know, he'll be with Larkin. He'll be playing with talented players. If Verona pops off, like you just mentioned, Brad, uh, then this time next year, or sorry, February of next year, because presumably we'll be back to a normal trade deadline, uh, we might be looking at Eiserman trying to get an extra 2022 first round pick or, you know, something really good. I, if it If he is going to be dealt like kind of like a pump and dump trade, I would expect it to be within the year. Um, and, and one thing we should know, I want to note, because we've talked about him a lot, and I'm sure we will a ton more, but I want to get this out of the way. We are talking about if Jakob Verana blows up in Detroit, if he scores 30 goals, if his numbers go up. If they don't, this is still a win. He's a 25-goal scorer. He puts up 20 to 25 goals consistently. That's still great in terms of value in this trade. So the fact that there is a chance that his numbers and production could go up in a bigger role is amazing. But that honest, honestly almost doesn't even need to factor into this discussion because that would just be found money versus the value in this trade. 
Yeah, it's funny because if you if you dive into the stats, Verona is basically um, this has a chance to be kind of a Fabry esque trade for Detroit, um, where he wasn't getting any minutes. Now Washington didn't deal Verona to do him a favor like they did with Fabry. They did it because he's up for a new contract and they probably won't be able to afford it, and he wasn't playing important minutes for them. But you dive into his his underlying numbers. He's one of the most efficient goal scorers in the league. You said that, Brad. Like this guy can produce. Scaling up doesn't always work that way, which is why I think you're, it's prudent, Brad, that you said, you know, if is a big qualifier there and we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves. But, you know, you're adding this kind of talent onto the first and second and, you know, bottom six player that you acquired, which, again, not the value add here. This is impressive. This is really impressive. And the, it's funny because I, I was ready for this episode to come in and have an honest conversation about what would have been a disappointing deadline from Steve Eisenman. You know, there's a lot of people who say yeah, Eisenman gets too much blind praise. And up until this trade, I was going to say, like, this isn't a, a trade deadline worth praising. I think there were missed opportunities here. I, I'm kind of shocked that they didn't move Luke Lendenning for anything. Um, it's a weird year and, and it's not like Detroit missed out on much, maybe an extra fourth or fifth or in a third at best, but uh, it wasn't shaping up to be something good. But then you add the first, then you add the second, and then you add a player like Verana. Man, this has a chance to be the Fabry situation. Like, and I'm talking best case scenario here. I'm letting us do a little bit of pie in the sky because Red Wings fans don't get a lot of nice things. Jacob Frana has a chance to be the Fabry situation on steroids. Like, this could be a, a Red Wings top line player or like top four player if he really grows into the the role he's going to get on the Red Wings. I love that you said could, because based on his underlying metrics, you could make the case he's the best player on the team right now. <laughs> Not actually, I don't actually think it's going to play out that way, but he, he's a no-brainer first-liner for them right now. Again, this is all under the caveat. We have to remember who our coach is and what his flaws are with personnel decisions, but I digress. Um, I think Richard Ponick's going to be an interesting case study here too, because they have him for two more years. He, he's a buyout candidate. He might be a flip candidate, and he has been horrifically inconsistent over his career. He has a 22 goal season under his belt. He's had seasons where he's been close to a half a point per game, but he also has seasons where he's like a 0.2 points per game type guy. He's not gritty. He's not a penalty killer by traditional sense, uh, but he also doesn't produce in a top six role. So this, this one's going to probably hurt more than it's going to help, but Hey, he's going to get more offensive minutes in Detroit. So that could be a bonus. Thankfully the Red Wings have a, ton of cap space and his 2.75 mil for the next two years after this one isn't going to really handcuff them at all but yeah. uh, you guys just a quick note on that it's 2.75 million through 2022 2023 yeah you'll notice right now he's listed as 1.675 that's because he's assigned to the taxi squad so that about one million dollars off um is what's while he's on the taxi squad so technically an ahl player uh if he gets recalled that goes up to the full 2.75. So for those wondering. Yeah. So you can bury his contract in the AHL and save almost half of it if if it goes really poorly, which given the style this coach likes to employ and the type of player Richard Ponick plays, it, it feels like oil and water to me, but it doesn't matter all that much. So before anybody panics about that. And then we get into, so you have the Verona, possible home run there the Ponic. let's just pray this doesn't go too poorly 
you've still got two really good picks after this. Uh, what'll probably be a late second round pick in 2020 and somewhere between pick 20 and 32 in this year's wild card of a draft. And that could be an, in a normal year around those picks, you can get good value. That's where the Red Wings got Joe Valeno. Um, so this, if the scouting department doesn't screw this up, this could be an absolute boon for the Red Wings long term. Evan, you asked me who uh, who doesn't like this trade. Presumably, it's Mika in the background. Uh, she's lost another one of her favorite players. So um. that's actually Hank, and this is what we get for recording before their bedtime for once. <laughs> <laughs> it's mayhem out there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Evan, what your thoughts are on the trade, but you just said you would have taken way less. So presumably, you're over the moon. Yeah, I, I've I've always liked uh, Verona's game a lot. I think he's got top tier speed. He he he's got a great shot. Um, yeah, I really like it. And you know, we can thank the uh, Twitter Mantha haters for getting this trade done. Um, <laughs> Holy shit! I'm so happy we don't have to hear about that anymore. Hold on, no. They get no thanks for this because they were doing their best to to absolutely tank his trade value, and Steve Eisenman got a good return in spite of them. Don't give them any credit, Evan. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> I, I <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like the trade. Um, it sucks to see Mantha go because obviously he's a fan favorite, but um, I, th- I think he's going to pop off in Washington. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, it might be a... It, it might be a wash like Washington fans will be okay giving up Verona in a first if Mantha pops off and Red Wings fans will be thrilled that they got Verona in a first and a second round pick. Yeah. And what I want to say here to close out maybe the Mantha topic is um, personally, and I think all three of us here kind of feel the same about Mantha that this is a super talented player leaving the Red Wings you know it's not going to be easy for the Red Wings to adjust to that was he having the best year no was he still one of the Red Wings most talented players probably best pure goal scorer um yeah absolutely like this is a guy with a ton of talent who a a lot of it uh, at times kind of remains untapped and and I think you're both right I think Washington will bring out the best in him especially with the the other players he'll be able to play with there you know the greatest goal scorer of all time um he's a great play driving player who has all of those abilities and and he'll be missed in detroit i know not everyone's a fan of him so if you don't like him by all means you know cheer that he's gone whatever but uh for me and for us and for a lot of red wings fans at least you know anthony mantha will be missed um he did a lot of good things in detroit for this team and uh i'm personally rooting for his success just maybe not these playoffs because we want that 2021 first to be uh, as high of a pick as possible well, there's the conflict, Ryan. Have you seen the age of this Capitals team? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they might only have a year or two left uh, in their window. But yeah, this this has the potential, not quite to the same degree, to be like the Aginla for Neuendijk trade where both teams view it as a win. Uh, because obviously Calgary got the better value out of that deal because they got a Hall of Fame career out of Jerome Aginla. Right. And it's easy to look and go, well, Dallas only had Newendijk for a couple of years. Yeah. But they got a cup in those couple of years. And Newendijk was a huge part of that. So even though Calgary got a full career of a guy, Dallas is still happy. That very much could happen here, where if that first round pick turns into a long term key piece of the Red Wings or Verona turns into a five, six, seven, eight year piece of, uh, of the Red Wings, 
but the Capitals win the cup in the next uh, one, two or three years, everybody's happy. And that's what we should hope for. We shouldn't be rooting for Mantha to fail. We shouldn't be rooting for the Capitals to fail. Yeah, there's a huge silver lining if they flame out in the first round here, and we shouldn't be upset about that. But in a perfect world, yeah, they win the cup next year. But um, screw the Capitals. I hope they burn. (laughs) (laughs) Wild card. I mean, I like Ovi and I like Mantha, so it's going to be hard to cheer against them. But uh, yeah, that's this has all the makings of being a win-win. Now, this could go a lot of ways for both teams. If the Capitals never get out of the first round again, obviously it's a massive failure for them. If the Red Wings whiff on that first round pick or Verona regresses severely, well, then it's a big failure for the Red Wings. I don't think either of those things is very likely, but it's a trade. You don't know until you know. So it's 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 why you play the game. All right. Very quickly here, we're going to do letter grades how do you rate or how do you grade this trade? I mean, I'm going to give it an A. I don't, I don't see a reality they would have got much more than this. Uh, it, given the circumstances of the pandemic, a quiet deadline, Mantha having a bad year, the relatively soft market overall. I mean, this was way better than I was expected. It's sure as hell better than a first-round pick in Jake Bean. <laughs> Um, I'm going to come in at a minus here. Um, that might be, I, I think maybe shine towards a would be a little bit more fair, but I'm going to go a minus just for the skeptics point of view. I mean, giving any kind of a isn't skeptical, but, uh, Verona will really have to kind of progress and play well. Um, and that first round pick could be anywhere from what pick 20 to pick 31. So whatever it is or in that range. So there's a lot of variables here. I would have loved if the first round pick was in 2022, a little bit of a stronger draft. Um, Obviously that would have been a much bigger ask, but all in all uh, we're talking about an a return, any kind of a return for Mantha. I'm thrilled. So yeah, I'll I'll go with a conservative a minus. Yeah. I'll say a, and then conditional depending on how Washington sort of does. But I mean, when you're making those trades, you can't control that. So I don't really see how the Red Wings could have gotten more in this circumstance. I would have taken Connor McMichael. That would have been nice. <laughs> but, you know, that's probably not on the table uh, for Washington's perspective. So I'll give it an A. I, I, I thought it was a really strong return. All right. We're going to jump into the other Red Wings trades here. Let's talk about the first one that happened. Um a few days ago on April 9th, that was uh, Colorado reacquiring uh, their old defenseman, Patrick Nemeth, uh, 50% salary retained by Detroit in exchange for their 2022 fourth round pick. Basic trade here. Um, we talked last episode, GMs love familiarity, so we're not surprised to see Joe Sackick bring back Nemeth. Um, Red Wings retaining salary on that was to be expected. Lots of teams tight to the cap. The flat cap world is is has made for a dull deadline before the Mantha trade, honestly. Um, fourth round pick is nothing to write home about, but it's about what we thought the range would be in a super uh, low price buyer's market. So, yeah, I mean, fair bit of work. I wasn't over the moon about it, but I also wasn't sad, like mad about it. It's about what you'd expect. Given that Nemeth wasn't one of the guys I was thinking was going to end up getting traded and how much of a depth piece he is and how quite honestly, easily replaceable a guy like he is getting anything for him felt like a win. Uh, so a fourth round pick, 
uh, it's going to be a late fourth round pick because it's Colorado's own fourth round pick is, isn't all that substantial, but it, it's Red Wings have been rebuilding for a while now. So we've been beating it to death. Late round picks are darts. Get more darts. You only need to hit on one of them for it to all be worth it. So I think the Red Wings have what five fourth round picks in the next two drafts. That gives them a roughly 50 50 chance of hitting a usable NHLer in the fourth round, which is seems like absurd odds. But yeah, if you only have two fourth round picks, you have a 20% chance. So this is what it's about. And I don't think anybody's really going to miss or even notice that Nemeth is gone, honestly. Um, but hey, it's it's a good trade and uh, I'm happy with it. It's just crazy to me that Colorado needs to add on their defensive core. Like they have the best decor in the league and they're still adding. Good luck to anybody who has to play them in the playoffs. Yeah, for real. It's very much like what Toronto did, which maybe we'll have time to talk about. They have no more want for scoring. They're like, we have all the scoring we can ask for. We just need a guy who plays pure defense. I'm going to disagree with you, Brad, that you might not notice he's gone, but I'm going to do it in a minute here uh, after we're done talking about John Merrill. Yes, Um, when we look at the whole picture, we're going to notice a difference. But Nemeth on his own, to use the old quote, isn't a needle mover. So, Uh, How do you rate this trade? You can't – I don't know. What's standard – what's the most average passing grade you can get? C plus, B minus? That's what I give it. It's – par for course anything below a b minus is generally unkind so yeah i think a b minus is is the right one here or or you can give it an f for fine it was (laughs) really fine i believe that comes in a stamp and it's just your face (laughs) it costs it costs one cent you need to cover the entire envelope in those stamps all i took from that is evan referred to my face as fine so thank you evan that's not what I meant, but whatever whatever works for you, Brad. Oh, I don't. I know what you meant, but I'm not taking it that way. All right, Evan. Before we talk about Brad taking anything from you, uh, your letter grade on the Nemeth trade. It was a. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that relates to this next trade because Nemeth, obviously, um, really staunch five on five defender. The Red Wings also moved another staunch 5-on-5 defender in John Merrill. Uh, no salary retained, but he was only making 925000 in exchange for Ottawa's – to Montreal in exchange for Ottawa's 2021 fifth-round pick and uh, prospect and nephew of current Red Wings assistant GM uh, Hayden Verbeek. Um, yeah, this this trade was, I think, the beginning of the moment uh, of the, the trade deadline where I thought – oh, this isn't going to be fun. I'm sad that we were right that this is not going to be a fun deadline for Red Wings fans at all. So what are your thoughts? Well, what would the NHL be without a little bit of nepotism to start off? So um, just to get it out of the way with Hayden Verbeek, he's a non-factor. AHL depth, if he turns into anything more than that, the trade's a home run. He he was just, I, I literally think this was just a favor to Pat Verbeek. Montreal clears out some money and he gets to go play uh, with his uncle. Cool. That's fun. So that's all I'm going to talk about with that. Now, it's worth noting that this was Ottawa's fifth round pick and not Montreal's, obviously, because that pick is going to be very, very, very close to the Nemeth pick, although I think different drafts. Um so it's it's essentially a fourth round pick. And in the 2021 draft, 
it's a scattershot draft. Good players are going to fall due to lack of exposure. So it only takes one team accidentally guessing right on a player and hitting a massive home run. So that is worth noting for the wealth of picks the Red Wings have in the 2021 draft. But all that leads me to, I, I did think Merrill was a far superior player to Nemeth. So the fact that he got a lesser, not not by much, but a lesser return than Nemeth was surprising to me. Um, the only tiebreaker I think here was that the Red Wings were willing to retain salary on Nemeth, which bumped up the pick value they got a little bit there. I thought, truthfully, if you had, you know, locked me in a room and forced me to bet on on what Merrill would be worth, I, I would have said a third. So it's about a round and a half late from what I thought they would have got for Merrill. But again, overused word, it's fine. He's a depth defenseman, even though he's a really good depth defenseman and harder to replace than Nemeth. It's still fine. It's another it's another ball in the hop or another roll of the dice, whatever you want to call it. Again, the Red Wings have 20-something picks. I know they have 12, uh, 11 picks or 12 picks in the 2021 draft and then at least 10 in the following year. So Yeah, 22 over the next two years. It's 22 over the next two years. They're going to hit on a few of those outside of the first round. Not many, but they're going to hit on a few. And if they only hit on a few, that is still worth every trade they made to acquire those picks. So in the in the bubble, I don't like this Merrill trade, but in the grand scheme, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like the the Verbeek thing aside, much like, you know, a, another player we're going to talk about, that's just a filler. It's moving contracts. It legitimately doesn't matter. Um is what it is. The fifth was low for me. I, I thought Merrill is one was one of the best five on five, uh, more underappreciated pure five on five defenders in the league this year, and, and the numbers back that up. The guy suppressed offense from the other team uh, at a rate that was among the upper echelon of like pure defensive defensemen. He came in at nine hundred twenty five thousand. In a we talk about the the flat cap and how that makes it hard for guys like for example Mark Stahl to move or Jonathan Bernier or guys where you know it's might be a few million or four million or whatever. If you have a guy coming in at 925,000, I don't know. A fifth isn't enough for me. A fifth wasn't enough. It, it, you're right, Brad, in that the grand scheme of things, like, yes, that it doesn't really matter too much. But to me, if he's not moving for a third or you're not packaging up him up in a bigger deal, uh, that's a super disappointing trade for me. Like, I, I'm. It's And this is a personal thing because he's got the sickest, dirtiest flow in the league and he's absolutely hilarious. So that'll be missed in Detroit. But uh, I think Montreal got a steal here. Is He's – I don't want to say he's not a needle mover. He's maybe not a needle mover in Detroit, but he certainly is for a team that's trying to contend. Like you want Merrill playing really uh, important defensive minutes for your team. Like he does it well. He doesn't generate much by way of offense, but I don't think he's – I think fifth was too low. Um all of that said, nothing about the market behaved rationally this year. I get that. And maybe teams just weren't offering more than that. And I get that. That's fine. Uh, it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean it was a good trade in the end. I think both things can be true. It was terrible circumstances. And I think it was a, a poor value trade. I'd honestly give this trade a D plus. I think this is maybe the worst trade Eiserman made has made since he came to Detroit. I view this as worse than the Regula for Perlini trade, honestly. I think what makes it worse is that I would have liked this trade better if it was just for Victor Mete straight up, who Montreal lost to Ottawa on waivers. 
Yeah, because every like, admittedly, even we were talk tweeting about it this morning and talking about it. Like, hey, we hope Mette makes it far enough on the waiver wire for Detroit to claim him. Ultimately, he didn't because Ottawa had a higher pecking order in the waiver selection, and they took him. But Detroit wasn't gonna be submitting a claim on him because they could have just had him yesterday. Just oh, you want to unload this contract to save some money? We'll take him. He's a worthwhile gamble because in my mind, Victor Mete is a worthwhile project. The Detroit Red Wings defense, uh, though improved this year, is still slow as all holy hell. And Victor Mete is a phenomenal skater, so that alone was probably worth at least toying with. But it is what it is. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be a little more optimistic and and. Jordy Ben only got a sixth round pick and looking around at what depth defensemen were going for around the NHL, this wasn't far off uh, what the results were. David Savard aside, because that guy just, that was a reputation trade. Um, But yeah, I'll go, I'll go C minus not claiming Mete probably bumps it to a D plus. I think when I saw the, the trade, I just said, okay. Because at the end of the day, it's like, is John Merrill the solution in Detroit? No. Is a fifth-round pick likely going to turn into a top-six forward? Probably not. Or is top-six player on the Red Wings? Probably not. So it's irrelevant. But Montreal was was sure happy to get him for a fifth. Yeah. It's like it's it's simultaneously nothing to cry or, or lose sleep over if you're a Red Wings fan, but um, it also I thought was maybe a bit of unnecessary help from Mark Bergevin. That maybe is just coming from spite towards the Habs in general. Well, Jeff, I was I was thinking about this. It was like Jeff Blaschel's got nowhere to hide now. Yeah. Before we get into the next trade, the last trade to talk about, and then the trades Detroit didn't make, that's a really good point, Evan. Detroit has been a much better 5-on-5 team this year defensively. Actually, an above-average 5-on-5 team defensively. A lot of that suppression of the other team's offense came from John Merrill and Patrick Nemeth, and that's now gone. You're right. A lot of cover is now gone for Jeff Blaschel and the Red Wings. Start taking the overs. On FanDuel. Yeah. <laughs> and Anthony Mantha's surprisingly strong defensive metrics. for <laughs> Nobody would believe it, but they're there. So <laughs> Oh, they're there. Yeah. And, uh, and they're they're better than Vrana's. So, yeah, Jeff Blaschel definitely has his work cut out for him. Um, especially Mantha's possession that- game is what drives a lot of that. Mantha drives play and he possesses the puck really well. So that, that's where a lot of that comes from. I mean, Vrana's strong with that too. But, um, I mean, Chalosky and Lindstrom... They're getting minutes now. It might not be both of them in the same game, but the Red Wings don't have enough defensemen to not play at least one of them every night now because what is the left side of that defense now? Uh, DeKaiser, Juice, Stahl, Chalosky, and then the right side is Heronik, Stetcher, Biega? Help. (laughs) (laughs) Help. Say a prayer when you go to bed tonight. I mean... Forget Jonathan Bernie not being traded because it sucks for value. This poor guy is going to have shell shock over the next 13 games. Heads they, up, Buffalo. We're coming. Again, because <laughs> individually, Merrill and Nemeth are not unbelievable players, but those were the two strongest defensive players on this team, maybe with Troy Stetcher uh, in that conversation with those two. So it's just Stetcher now. Uh, DeKaiser's a shell of his former self. Stahl, though he's playing better than he did at the beginning of the year, is still not good. Uh, Christian Juice, for as much as we like him, 
is not strong defensively. Troy, yeah, Troy Stetcher is still battling injury. Philip Hironik is hot and cold this year, more cold than hot in the defensive zone. And Alex Pick is just not good. <laughs> this is this is gonna get ugly. If the Red Wings put up super strong defensive metrics in these final 13 games, yeah, I think we probably will and should look at uh Blashill in a bit of more of a positive light. Not that it absolves the last five years but it, it will be a good testament for him yeah uh and it's important to note this is all by design you know we're laughing and we're saying oh this is going to be so bad but this is all this was all what was to be done right like this was how you're supposed to move forward this is what you wanted eisenman to do it's rebuilds suck we've t- said it time and time again they're painful it's not an easy up and down process like there's a lot of dips it, it's brutal and this is just the pains you have to go through well, like every year, like you know, you're you're accumulating draft picks, and there's going to be a whole another crop next off season of NHL players who you can insert into the lineup. And given the team has is basically all UFAs, you just build the same Red Wings team, but you have a better idea of where you are with your prospects. So yeah. it might be doom and gloom right now, but you can totally reload those those veteran positions in the off season. All right, last trade here to talk about for the Red Wings, and this was a three-team trade. Uh, I'm going to talk this through and and I'm going to highlight a couple key points before we go into analyzing the trade itself. Uh, Brad, you want to jump in here? Can you please just summarize this by what each team received and not the stupid, complicated, bullshit transactions that led to it? Because that just confused the The hell out of everybody. First time I started reading it, I I got three quarters (laughs) of the way through. I just put my phone down. I was like, I'll wait till this makes more sense in a simplified, readable version. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Okay, so the, the, the subject for this trade is Columbus Trades. David Savard to Tampa Bay and Detroit helps. In the end, Tampa Bay got David Savard at 50% salary retained and Brian, La- sorry, is it 50 or, or 75%? 75 when it was 75%. Yeah, 75% salary retained in the end and Brian Lashoff, who is staying in Grand Rapids. That's a quirk we'll talk about in a second. Columbus got Tampa Bay's first round pick in 2021 and their third round pick in 2022. Detroit got a fourth round pick from Tampa Bay in exchange for retaining 25% of David Savard's total salary. So what they did was essentially move Savard through Detroit. So uh, Columbus retained half of his salary, and then Detroit retained half of that. So 25% of his overall salary. And then he went to Tampa Bay. The way the process shook out on the transactions was that like Lashoff was traded for like a first and something else. It, it, that's not what happened, guys. Lashoff, I know, you know, he's popular in Grand Rapids. He's a captain. We're all happy he's staying there. He was not a value add in this trade. It was literally just about moving a contract. He was a filler at best. It's not an insult to Lashoff, but Lashoff did not, Detroit didn't get a fourth for Lashoff. Detroit got a fourth for retaining just over a million dollars on David Savard's salary. That's it. Yeah. This Tampa, was Tampa literally yeah. said, you can keep him. We will have him on our books, but you can keep him. That is, again, with all due respect to Brian Lashoff, that is what Tampa thought of him. And that is how impactful, quote unquote, he was in this trade. It was just a contract thing. 
So what what happened was Columbus traded Savard for a first and a third from Tampa in 2021 and 2023 or 2022 respectively. Tampa gets Savard and the rights to lash off, even though they kept him in Detroit. And what Detroit did was they ponied up a million, just over a million dollars in cap space and said, we'd like to buy a fourth round pick for helping this deal along. Tampa got a cheaper version of Savard and Detroit got a fourth round draft pick. That was the price. Eisman paid cap space for a fourth round pick. That That's what it boils down to. And it's even better because of how everything prorates. It was really only about a quarter million in actual cash. So the Red Wings got a fourth round pick for $250,000 is essentially what it broke down to because they have so much cap space this year. It doesn't even affect them in any way. So the fact that like, yeah, here, well, you, you like this in cash or check, essentially, and they get a fourth round pick. They got a better return for $250,000 than they got for John Merrill. Like that is that is how much of a premium cap space was at this deadline. That is your perfect indication of how much teams were hampered by real dollars and cap space in a flat cap pandemic world. Because, you know, you could sit here and go, oh, that's some galaxy brain stuff from Eisenman to buy a draft pick. I think the same thing happened in three other trades. We'd only seen, what, one or two, quote unquote, brokers in a trade like this in the last couple of years total. There was four at this one deadline. I think San Jose did it twice and Ottawa did it once and then Detroit had it. So, yeah, when we sit here and preach doom and gloom about hey, this is the end of the world for the salary cap and NHL owners are bleeding money. No, we we were not screwing around. Stuff like that mattered a lot, which is why this was such a, uh, until the Mantha trade, a complete and utter bust of a deadline, not just for the Red Wings, for the NHL in general. I yeah. mean, Taylor Hall got a second round pick. We'll talk about that, but like, holy shit. In all, um, I think the only thing that's stopping me from rating this trade in the A minus territory is because it's a fourth round pick and I can't in good faith come here and say a fourth round pick is worth an A. This is B plus because I think the methodology and and the way Eisenman flexes cap space, which we said on our preview episode, that is the best asset Detroit has to trade, their cap space. He did it. He was one of a few teams to do it. And he they Detroit got an extra pick out of it. And what's the difference for the fans? Literally nothing. Detroit has a whole boatload of cap space and we actually really don't care about <laughs> ownerships groups real dollars so eisenman gave up something that it, he has a, a ton of isn't using and got a free fourth round pick that's the way i see it b plus great work eisenman i'm happy it happened and when you look at what uh i think this was of all the deals where you know quote unquote it was just a team retained salary and then flip the guy i think the fourth was the highest pick anybody got too so he got better value because i think the rest were fifth round picks for doing the same thing if i'm not mistaken yeah, I'm just looking it up now. Um, it's a little tough to find just the way it's all listed. I, I mean, for me, it, it might be oversimplifying it. He got the best value of everybody that did it, and he literally got something for nothing. How is that? that that's an A yeah. for me. It, he yeah, got San- something for nothing. It's, it, it's San Jose got a fifth. Uh, they also got a fourth. Detroit got a fourth. Um, yeah, it kind of moves through that way. Yeah, you're right. It's It's generating an asset out of thin air. They could use this pick now uh, to trade up in the draft. They could just take a player with it. It doesn't matter. It's free. It's like signing a college free agent. Yeah, you have to commit a bit of dollars, but you're getting something for 
nothing. So if they use this and this pick and a third round pick to bump up in the second round pick, it's essentially like they just took a third round pick and turned it into a second. If they pick a player with it, cool, free player. Everybody wins. All right, uh, quick letter grades before we jump into a transition here for this trade specifically. I, again, I'm I'm going to say an A. It's something for nothing. There's no downside here. I don't know. I'll say a B because it's just a thing that happened that really has no... Like, they just got to pick for money. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a B. Yep. Okay. So, those are the Red Wings trades. We will talk about our overall grade for Iserman uh, and the Red Wings over the trade deadline uh, after we talk about... Um, the overall or or the players they didn't manage to trade uh which is worth noting here there's a few of those but first i do want to talk to you about the fact that this episode of the wind wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the fan duel fan duel sportsbook who we are thrilled to partner with uh, they are america's number one sportsbook for a ton of reasons they're easy to use from registration to deposits deposits and finding great bets withdrawals are quick and easy you get your money back as soon as a day later listen to this FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. We wish we could bet on upcoming Red Wings games and take the over like Evan mentioned because that defense is going to be suffering. But we're happy that you have the opportunity. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the winged wheel podcast sent you that's FanDuel sportsbook promo code wwp you must be 21 and older and present in new jersey pennsylvania illinois west virginia indiana colorado iowa tennessee virginia or michigan first online real money wager only site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days restrictions apply see sportsbook.fanduel.com for details if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 in colorado 1-800-BETS-OFF in iowa 1-800-9-WITH-IT in indiana 1-800-GAMBLER in new jersey pennsylvania illinois or virginia tennessee redline 1-800-889-9789 gamblernet in west virginia or call one 800 270 7117 in Michigan. All right, guys. Uh, that was an exciting look at who did get traded. And I think that's just because Mantha was added in at the end. But really, before the Mantha news came out, we were sitting, waiting for the Glenn Denning news and maybe some Bernier news. Um, Mark Stahl, we kind of had an inkling a little bit before the deadline that it was going to be unlikely. And considering his cap number, um, that's not a terrible surprise. Uh, but yeah, those are a bunch of guys that that didn't get moved, not to consider all the other maybe really lower odd Red Wings that didn't get moved. So what are your takes on uh, um, Eisenman not finding a suitor for for those players? Well, first things first, like you said, Mark Stahl was not getting moved. Even if the Red Wings retained half his salary, there there was no way that a team was eating two point, almost $2.8, $2.9 million for a depth defenseman. Um, I, I saw some Red Wings reporters talking about Darren Helm being on the block. Yeah, no way in a million years that was happening either. So it really did boil down to maybe Sam Gagne, unlikely, and then Bernier and Glenn Denning. Now, once Dubnik went to Colorado, Bernier's odds of getting traded free fell. There was just not a market for goalies this year. Um ignoring the salary cap and all the financial restrictions. There just weren't teams that really needed a lot of goaltending this year outside of Colorado. And they addressed it. I mean, if I was, if I'm Colorado, I would have much rather Bernier than Dubnik because Dubnik's awful, but 
either way for the as soon as that happened we knew they were out as an option so i would have liked to have seen um something happen with bernie there because with how well he's been playing there should have been a decent return didn't happen not all that surprised um i I, uh, second round pick might have been optimistic a third round pick would have been fine anything beyond that i'm not that upset about it i would rather resign him and keep him at this point than take a fourth or later for him the Glendening one legitimately surprised the hell out of me um, because it's easy. It's very easy to sit here and say, yeah, his reputation got ahead of him. And when you actually break it down, he's not all that good. So why would teams be interested in him? We've sat here and said, yeah, we love Glenny. He's a great story. He's a great person. He's one of everybody's favorite Red Wings, but he's not all that good. Yeah. His line's been on a bit of a hot stretch lately. Which probably inflated our perception of his value even more, but obviously that would have worked around the league as well. But by and large, he's a super replaceable player. Faceoffs don't matter all that much. He has almost no impact offensively outside of this little two, three week heater him and Ernie have been on. Heater by their standards, quote unquote. So it's very, very easy to sit here and say, well, yeah, we thought there'd be a good market for Glendening, and it turns out GMs have common sense. So I guess there wasn't. But God damn it, David Savard getting a first round pick proves that reputation still matters around the NHL. Eric Goodbranson getting traded at all. Um, there, there was a ton of players who were moved for decent value that are objectively bad and in most cases worse than Glendening. Um, so like Sam Bennett essentially got two second round picks and he's like, he's better than Glenn Denning. Don't get me wrong and younger, but, but still two. Um, I, I was Glenn Denning was the one that I'm like, okay, I'm actually stunned. He didn't get moved in a bubble. I am not surprised because he's not that good, but given what, how reputation works around the league and how much teams overvalue players like him. I am actually surprised. Yeah. You know, the Mantha deal really kind of saved this deadline. Um, you're right about Bernier goalies are weird. And, and that is more about the market for the goalies than anything else. When teams are buying goalies, they, they want to buy depth goalies for cheap and they, they're more willing to pay less to get a worse goalie and hope he just gets hot at the right time than maybe pay for someone more proven. Is that the more prudent way to do it? I'd say no. Um, I think Bernie could be good for a lot of teams, but that's tough. I can't really harp on Eisman or any GM for not being able to move a a backup goalie effectively at the deadline is what it is. Uh, stall. Yeah. I was hoping the reputation would come through. I even predicted, you know, I think he'll be one of the ones that gets dealt, but we saw how tight things are and how little people were paying. Even if he did get moved, it would not be better for better than a sixth in my mind. Um, not too pressed about that. Same goes for Helm. Not just not a good player. Replacement level or below replacement level player at this point for the, for the Red Wings, let alone the rest of the NHL, whatever. The Glenn Denning one surprised me and disappointed me. I thought, you know... Yeah, Glenn Denning on objectively isn't that great. Um, I was hoping the the faceoffs reputation would would coast a little bit. I was hoping the the Red Wings would be able to get something. He was one of those guys where I was like, I get that the market not, might not be hot, as hot as we got excited about. Like there was talk, there was talk about a sweepstakes, and there was talks about a bidding war that obviously didn't transpire. Otherwise, we'd be seeing a second or a third plus for Glenn Denning come through. But I'm still dealing Glenn Denning for a fourth, a fifth just something to add there, you know, push it to 2022, but 
I have a hard time believing there's nothing like that out there. It really, we'll, we'll see what Eisenman does with Glenn Denning in the offseason. That'll probably help us divine a little bit more about how he feels about the player. Because uh, if he re-signs him, that'll probably say, yeah, he wasn't going to move him for a nothing pick or a super low pick. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the I thought not moving Glenn Denning definitely was in the failure column for me. I thought that was uh, disappointing and... Um, you know, if we weren't talking about Mantha, that'd be the main story about this is the players that weren't moved. Um, a couple fourths and a fifth round pick is what the Red Wings got outside of the Mantha deal. And to me, that's not a strong deadline. So to be fair, it's not far off what we were expecting because I think you know, because you guys were predicting last episode, I think two trades overall for the Red Wings and I picked three. Yeah. So, so it's in line with what we expected. Yeah. yeah so definitely. it was, it just was not who or how we expected it, which is fine. And that that's the nature of it. Um, one of the arguments I saw for not trading Glenn Denning was, oh yeah, you know, you can bring him back next year, which I'm betting they're going to do. And it, it's all right if they do it. Um, but he's not a guy that you quote unquote should have passed up on a fifth round pick for just to bring him back. He's again, he he's a, an all right player who fills a role I'm certainly not upset with him centering the fourth line as he is now. If the Red Wings were contenders, I'd be upset about it because, again, he's a replacement level player by and large. Um, but yeah, he's not a guy you have to sign. So if the best offer was a fifth round pick, you take the fifth round pick. And if Glenn Denning loves Michigan like he's like everybody says he does, cool, resign him in the offseason. That's always an option. You can still trade a guy and bring him back. It doesn't happen often, but there's nothing in the rules that say you can't. So if they sign Luke Glenn Denning to an extension tomorrow, great. That's that's no as long as it's not too much money or too much term, that's awesome. Nobody's upset. If you did that to pass up on a fourth or a fifth round pick, yeah, that's bad. If you did that to pass up on a sixth or a seventh round pick, yeah, whatever, who cares? That argument can be made for Bernier, though. Because right now, the Red Wings goaltending is for next year's Thomas Grice. And as we've learned this year, that's bad. So they need a second goalie for next year because if they sign Petrozelli, he's a long ways off. Larson, who Bratstrom, whoever you think is the answer. Net for, yeah, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Um, whoever you think the answer, actually, I'd argue for Kosa with their second first round pick more than Wallstead in their first, but anyways, um, they need a goalie for next year and a really good option for that. That's probably going to come cheap and on a short-term contract is Jonathan Bernier. So if they sign him to an extension tomorrow in lieu of a fourth or a fifth round pick, that makes sense. And that's good. But that same argument does not apply to Glenn Denning. Yeah. My take on the whole thing. We've said that about Bernier leading the whole season. If he doesn't get traded, we'll we'll be happy to see him re-signed, especially because Grice hasn't been, you know, what Bernier has been, which means you still need someone halfway competent. So both fans and players aren't trying to die watching the games every night. Like you can still be a very much a last place tanking team who's aiming for Shane Wright with Jonathan Bernier and net. The Red Wings had no problem being last last season, and Bernier was still lights out. Um, yeah, hear me out. We reunite the real German connection and we sign Philip Grubauer in the offseason. <laughs> That's a good use of the cap space for sure. <laughs> that won't come cheap. Not, no, that won't come cheap too. And I'm still not sure how we would pry Stutzla out of Ottawa, but I, I like where you're heading with this. <laughs> My overall thoughts on on not dealing Glenn Denning, which is really the only one for me where I'm like, that's a disappointment. That That's one that's a miss by Eiserman. It's kind of my same thoughts on Merrill. 
you can acknowledge that the the market and the circumstances and the overall you know buyers dictating prices that are very low you can acknowledge that whole sphere that's coloring this whole situation and you can still call it a whiff or a miss or a bad trade or whatever so it fits in there for me it's not something that i'm happy about but you understand how it came about now let's look at the whole picture all three of the trades leading up to the Mantha trade and then the Mantha trade itself. The entire trade deadline for the Red Wings, what grade do you give Detroit and Steve Eiserman specifically here? I th- I think I'll go with a B plus. Um because the Mantha trade does set them up really well for the future, which is the most important thing that they could do. Yeah, they gave up huge value, but they got great value in return. Getting that fourth round pick for literally nothing is great. The Nemeth trade was fine and the Merrill trade was was what it was. The only thing really keeping me from putting this at an A or an A minus is the completely whiffing on Glenn Denning. Because I could even stomach the weak return on Merrill had we got hypothetically a third or a fourth round pick for Glenn Denning. Sure. Um so yeah, but overall, I think it was a good deadline. He exceeded what we were expecting going into the deadline um because of the mantha trade he 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 met what we were expecting of the deadline before that so yeah i mean it's a win uh it's a huge huge win if you just look at the mantha trade on its own so uh, overall i'm happy it's it's a b plus i'll go i'll just say b i didn't like a lot of the moves other than the mantha one but they were all like we said like replacement level players and the market just was not a seller's market so i'll say a b i'm not certainly not upset but you know i always wish it could have moved a guy like glenn denning or um bernie bernie thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah on balance i think you're both right but I can't stop my I can't talk myself out of giving this an A minus because the Mantha trade is so much more impactful than everything else. You know, you look at Evan's reactions to the trades earlier. You know, Brad and I would go on for ten minutes, and then Evan would just say, "Yeah, whatever. It was it was a trade for a fourth. Like use some cap for a fourth, okay." And that's kind of how I wrap all this up. Like, it's good to get a fourth. It's good to get a third. It's good to maybe not as good to get a fifth. I wish that was a fourth. Like those are all. Definitely things that you can get in the weeds and super granular and fine tune and nitty, like nitpicky about. But where does where do rebuilds change? Where do you make the super big moves on your team? It's when you make those huge swings that like Eisman just made by moving Mantha for a first, a second, and Verona essentially. Um, and that I think is going to be the story of the deadline as we look back on this trade a year, two years, three years from now. Uh, will it age well? That remains to be seen. But I think he set the team up. Where they're in a good position to do so. I gave that trade an A minus, and I think I'm going to give the overall deadline an A minus. Now, I want to say I really mean it when the Mantha trade carries the weight of that, because before the the, the Mantha trade, this would have been a C minus, maybe D plus deadline for me. Um, it sucks to not move Glenn Denning. It sucks to not move maybe Bernier or one of like Stahl or Helm or whatever. But those guys are only bringing in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. You brought in a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and a really, really strong player who has a chance to be way more than what he was on his team. To me, that outshadows, like that outshines everything else. If that trade happened first, we actually wouldn't give a damn about any trade thereafter. So for me, it's an A-minus, and um, it was saved at the bell. 
Uh, this this was going to be a completely different episode before that news came down at 3.30. Thank you, Kevin Weeks and everyone else who broke that. You uh, you saved our days. Dinners be damned. All right. There's going to be so much more talk about the Red Wings uh, trade deadline and, and the pieces they brought in in the coming episodes. But let's quickly take a look at the rest of the league before jumping into some overtime questions here. Let's talk about the big one. Buffalo. Uh, moved Taylor Hall at 50% salary salary retained. So that's $4 million. And uh, Curtis Lazar in exchange for the high price of Anders Bjork um, and a second round pick. Oh boy. Um, if this is like when it's your first day at work and your colleagues bully you and tell you certain things are true about the office, but they aren't at all. This is a desk pop. This is a desk pop. <laughs> this is a desk pop. <laughs> oh, September man. 1999. Yeah, of course. That was a lot. That was the last time I I traded uh, a really strong underrated playmaking left winger for absolutely nothing. So, if you see a Sabres fan today, give them a hug. They need it. <laughs> but but being realistic here, there were a couple factors going into this that I didn't see talked about a lot that did handcuff uh kevin adams a lot one was taylor hall's contract even if they retained half which they did it's it's four million dollars and that immediately knocked out a lot of other teams um they could have used uh the other team could have used a broker but not every team wants to do that they're like okay we want to give you assets for this player we don't want to give assets to another team for something else so even though it happened more not every team wants to do that also the big caveat here Taylor Hall had a no move clause. He controlled where he went. So if he, if for all we know, the Sabres had better offers on the table from other teams and Taylor Hall went, yeah, nah, I don't want to go play for Montreal or no, I don't want to go back to Edmonton or no, I don't want to go play for the Islanders. Uh, hypothetically, right? We, we will never know. We will never know. And uh, he seemed pretty excited about going to the Bruins. So he said, yeah, okay, you got an offer on the table for Boston. That's where I want to go. I'll wait for them. But it was only a second round pick and uh, a replacement level player. So it is what it is, and um, it sucks for the Sabres, but this is why you don't give players no-move clauses. This is why I was so confused about it before this season, but here we are. You're totally right, Brad, and I think this is another application of what I was talking about with the whole Merrill deal, where you can acknowledge the, the shitty circumstances that led to this, but still call it a bad trade. For sure, all those things factored in, and you know it's a tough market. I mean, there's way worse players who got way more. I saw a lot of people online trying to justify Taylor Hall as only being worth that objectively on paper. And I'm like, no, Taylor Hall is maybe he actually is a terrible finisher. He's just lost all finishing touch. But he at the very to to some degree, he's shooting unsustainably low. All that aside, he is still an elite playmaking winger who is going to make your team better. Like there's just no minimizing the kind of talent he could bring on your team. I'm not considering anything else about locker room, whatever. I'm not, I don't know. I don't really care. I don't buy a lot of that with Taylor Hall, especially. Um, But regardless, yeah, you know, Buffalo, you missed on this one. Kevin Adams missed on this one. And maybe it's because his hands were tied. Maybe it would have taken the world's best general manager to catch the world's worst general manager on a right day to get the proper value out of Taylor Hall this year. You're right, Brad. A lot of those circumstances led to it, but this it's just in the end, Buffalo does not come out looking good. They don't really come out a Taylor Hall's worth better for this, especially with the 50% salary retained. I don't know. This was a this 
was a bum trade. Like, this sucked for Buffalo. When you factor in that Columbus got a better return on Nick Felino and David Savard, Calgary got a better return for Sam Bennett, the goddamn Detroit Red Wings got a better return at the beginning of the year for taking on Mark Stahl and his contract. It's a miss because not that every team was out there. Unless Taylor Hall literally said, I'm only going to this one team. I refuse to believe there wasn't a better deal out there. Again, reiterating, Taylor Hall very much could have said that. Um, it, it, it's a huge, huge miss. And, you know, props to Boston for making it happen because they're on the lower end of the East Division playoff teams right now. But this instantly boosts them up a lot because Taylor Hall, despite his unsustainably low shooting, is still driving play. He's still really good. He was still the best rental available on the market. And uh, yeah, you know, Sabres loss is the Bruins gain. So as much as we can all laugh at ah, ha, ha, Adam Ernie has t- five times as many goals as Taylor Hall. I don't think that's going to last in Boston. Uh, something tells me him playing with good hockey players and regressing to the mean is going to do wonders for uh, the rest of his season. And he gets to play Buffalo, I think, like six more times. So that helps your stat line, too. Oh, my God. They're paying him $4 million to dunk on him six more times for the rest of the year. <laughs> doesn't doesn't Boston play Buffalo either tomorrow, tonight or tomorrow? Yeah. And and Taylor all said he was driving to Boston to play against Buffalo. So that man oh, bet the over. What, bet the over. Whatever fit prop bet FanDuel has for whoever scores first goal of that game, put all the money on Taylor Hall. <laughs> It's it's just such a weird year, and a lot of this is just out of so many people's hands. But yeah, it just didn't turn out well. Um, this one, this next trade we're going to talk about is, I think, a lot more of a story-driven one, and I think it's a lot more interesting to dive into because I saw a lot of opinions, and I don't know, I'm kind of torn. Toronto, with the help of San Jose, essentially got from Columbus uh, Nick Felino and Stefan Nosen. I think I'm saying his name right. Nice. Um Nason um for a first this year a fourth this year and a fourth in 2022 and it's important to note that uh Felino comes in at 1.375 uh as opposed to his full contract so <sighs> Toronto paid they gave a late first which is what their first will be this year and two fourths uh to get a salary retained Nick Felino who let's be real they're not bringing him in to score they're bringing him in for the grit and the defense and uh, the character, the callous. The thing that they've been missing in the playoffs, if you're going to believe uh, first name bunch of numbers Twitter. Or in all honesty, like this team has been pushed around a lot. So I don't know. What are your takes? It's a boomer window, baby. <laughs> this is the boomer window. This is the theme all the boomers and all the blue collar lunch pail guys wanted. This is it. So I don't want to hear about any of that bullshit after this season if they don't win. And you know what's going to happen is Toronto's going to either win it or go on a run and get really goddamn close. Austin Matthews is going to pop off at two points per game. Mitch Marner is going to, you know, set the NHL record for assists in a postseason run. And yet they'll be like, oh, yeah, see, we got Nick Foligno and Wayne Simmons and we finally got it done, even though, you know, two of the best players in the world are likely going to be the ones that carry them. But I digress. This is the type of trade I like because I get to shit on the Leafs. Um, 
This is this is a terrible trade for the Leafs. If they're like, oh, they finally got their grit player, that that player that they were looking for. Wasn't that what Wayne Simmons was? Why you don't need another one? Nick Foligno's not a bad player. He offensively he he's washed up. There's nothing there anymore. He's he's all right. He's that type of guy who will score one goal at a key part in a playoff game, and people remember that goal for ten years, but then forget that was his only goal of the whole playoffs. He is still defensively strong, even strength, and on the penalty kill. So he does come with some value. So don't. I don't want to sit here and say, oh, yeah, he, he's a garbage player. He's still very, very good. It's just that one end of the ice now. Yeah, you can have all the intangibles you want. But, I mean, you brought in Joe Thornton for that. You brought in Wayne Simmons for that. You brought in TJ Brody for that, although Brody brings a little more in the actual game. They didn't need Nick Felino. They could have went out and brokered a deal for the same cost for Taylor Hall. Like, honestly, they could have, for 700000 more in a cap hit, they could have had Taylor Hall. Uh, obviously, Hall would have had to have waived, but Taylor Hall grew up very close to Toronto. Gut tells me he would have waived for them. Um, a first-round pick for a third, maybe fourth-line forward. A first-round pick plus. Oh, boy, do I hate this trade for the Leafs. So, I, overall, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. I, I think... You know what? Uh, I've heard a lot of people. Um, um, sorry, I got distracted. My beer or my doorbell's ringing. It's actually because I have 40 liters of beer at my front door. I love keg refill day. Um, it takes me 20 minutes to get to your house. I will be there in 10. You, I don't even joke. I will fill a growler for you. Um, I, I understand a lot of the people who are justifying this trade by saying, what else could Toronto add to their scoring? That's not what they need. They need... Uh, I think it was the Oak Leafs on Twitter said the, the, and I'm going to butcher this. It was a great tweet and I'm going to just ruin it. Toronto worked hard to build a, a cake that was built on skill and talent and good roster decisions. And now they can afford to go for the, uh, rough intangibles icing. And you know what? Sure. That's great. If, if you're just looking for what you need to do to put your team over that hump and make this team, which on balance should be a cup winning talent team into the cup finals for once and maybe win it absolutely take your shot but at the end of the day the only way this is worth it for me is if they win the cup anything less than that and it's 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 a waste of a first and multiple fourths yeah i'm very in favor of the leafs trading their first round pick and good prospects they are firmly in their window now so as easy it is for us to dump on teams for trading away first round picks but yeah, the Leafs are the definition of a team in position to do it. They have a pretty good prospect pool. They're a young roster, and they're one of the best teams in the league. Of course they should be all in right now. There was just way better options uh, than Nick Foligno that they could have went at. This is a classic reputation trade. I mean, it might work out well. I mean, he's, he's certainly not going to hurt the team. Um, but yeah, like if you look at what other players went for, there were much better options. If I were the Leafs in their position and you wanted all those intangibles, but you wanted to spend less and get the same results, I'd have traded for Sam Bennett. Just trade for Luke Lindenny if you want the defense. Trade for Adam Ernie if you want the defense. It wouldn't cost you that much. Honestly, honestly, that sounds like a joke. And yes, Felino, I understand, is a much better player than Luke Lindenning, but not by all that much. So not Not so much that it's worth a first. Exactly. No, you know what? The way Toronto sees it, and they've been in this for what? How long have they been in this mess? To some capacity, years. As long as any of us have been alive, times two. Um, what they're saying is, 
fuck boys, we tried everything. We have to dive in both feet head first. And that's what they did. Respect. I don't know if that's going to work out. I don't know if Felina will be the difference maker, but hey, if they're lifting a cup, they don't give a shit at the end of the day. And there's another theme that will probably lead us into what I assume is going to be the next trade you want to talk about is when you dive into Felino's analytics, the the numbers do tend to back up his reputation of being an offensive black hole, but very strong defensively. So again, it could be a reputation trade or there could be something there. Another guy that got a first round pick based on his reputation was David Savard, who also had zero offensive input, but very good defensive metrics. It's it's almost like they both played for a very good defensive team under a very defensive-minded coach. So curious to see how they both work out in a different system. Uh, do you guys want to cover any more trades before jumping into overtime? Because I do want to take some time to answer some questions here. Uh, sure. David Savard trade uh, bad for Tampa Bay, which makes me happy. And uh, Sam Bennett was surprising. The rest of the trades, I don't give a shit about. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to jump into overtime. We're going to take as many questions as we can today, guys. Uh, <laughs> it was very last minute with this Mantha trade. So the schedule got t- kind of turned around. So if we have to cover some more of your comments next episode, we we promise we will. Um, at the same time, uh, we're going to be covering a lot more about the trade deadline in future ev- episodes. But this is our initial Red Wings and NHL trade deadline recap. Thank you all for bearing with us. Uh, so we are going to... Start in overtime with uh, Patreon, where our Patreon supporters are the reason we are able to provide the coverage that we do. Um, thank you so much, and I hope all of you have had an exciting day. Uh, I think these next comments were actually made before the deadline, so uh, you'll see the mantha the manthaness come through these as we move forward. Dave says, "I can't believe Redacted was traded." Oh my god! Anyways, you say that Ryan will read every word. We'll see about that, and then it's a riddle. Uh, or a, a tongue twister. So, Dave, I'm going to hold off on reading that this time just for the sake of uh, time here, but I, I'll try it at another time. Uh, Evans Fetish Incarnate says, I'm kind of impressed with the deal Stevie has done. I hope something big happens today, but even if they don't, it's been successful. Please say my full name. I will not be saying your full name today. Um, <laughs> I think that's quite enough of it. Evan will punch me through the screen. AJ Voss says, In the end, who do you think ended up being uh, worse for this team? Ken Holland, Tyler Wright, or Mike Babcock? To clarify, I'm not trying to scapegoat any of them. Everyone knows there's a lot of factors. I'm just curious who you think did the most damage. It's probably the answer, not not the answer everybody wants to hear, but it's Tyler Wright. He had a lot of shitty drafts as the Red Wings uh, head scout. And um, when the Red Wings starting a rebuild, the draft is more important than everything else doesn't matter if you have a hundred picks or 10 picks if you whiff on most of them it's going to slow down your rebuild that 2017 draft for the red wings where i think they had 11 picks and was really their first true draft in the quote-unquote rebuild where they acquired picks for it had a top 10 pick was an unmitigated disaster um 2018 redeemed them 2019's not shaping up uh all that great beyond cider but we'll see actually i'm lying johansson was good Wait, 2019 was Cider Johansson, right? Doesn't uh, matter. Doesn't matter. Tyler Wright is my answer. Um, the theme draft from the Rasmussen draft makes me say Tyler Wright. Uh, North Moto says, Wings have had some bad lottery luck and trade deadline luck. Uh, Green, now Ryan. Uh, feeling okay with the moves. I think it's safe to say we know why Stevie's stuck with Ernie. What trade deadline deal did you get the most excited about over the past 20 years or so? Uh, the Mantha one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If, if we want to exclude today, I'll say the Tatar trade. 
Uh, Brad's anger manifested said in regards to the draft and specifically games played, is it better to draft somebody from the NCAA or somebody from another league like the SHL where the player has played more games and you have a better sample size? Um, well, it's tough to draft from the NCAA and the SHL because so few draft eligible players play in those leagues because you have to be a late birthday to play in the NCAA. This year, though, I, I do think we are going to see a lot more um, players are going to get bumped up because they have more exposure. Guys who played in the OHL or the Q or the WHL will probably fall towards the top of the draft just due to the uncertainty. Like you'll see a Hypothetically, a William Eklund get drafted ahead of a Dylan Genther just because there's more certainty in what you've seen there. Uh, but as you creep out of the sure bets, you'll, you might start to see more gambles on OHL players. Like I've seen Francesco Pinelli hypothetically ranked anywhere from six to 45. So if your team is sitting there in the late in the first round, that's maybe a gamble worth taking, even though he's barely played this year. Uh, Barry C did a good job of outlining that in response as well. Uh, La Plata Peak says, is there any way the end of a hypothetical, but likely Toronto Montreal first round series doesn't result in a GM being fired? Yeah. If Montreal wins, I don't think Dubas gets fired. I agreed. Um, Adam Ernie Stan club says, I love Steve Eisman. Can't wait to see what Verona can do on a line with Luke Lindenning and Franz Nielsen. <laughs> uh, big J 1066. He says that, but <laughs> Big J 1066 says first year listener, new supporter. Big J, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast family and thank you for the support. He says thank you guys for the pod. Uh, my question is with Mantha gone, I'm now in the market for my next Wings jersey. Previous jerseys were Mantha number 39 and Nyquist number 14, which add up to 53. Is it Mo Cider time? I absolutely think it's Mo Cider time. And he'll be the next prospect up. So yeah, I think that's a great pick. Yeah, why not? I just got my Larkin jersey in, and I don't know who the next one is either. It might be Cider, might be Raymond, might be Zadina. Zadina would be a good one. Uh, Vincent Saladino says, I was thinking that Eisman needs to make more of a splash at the de- deadline. A couple of fourths and a fifth were not much, and at 3 o'clock I checked if any more trades happened and saw nothing, so I figured it was an uneventful one. Saw the method uh, trade in my mind is currently blown. I don't think I didn't think he'd be traded. Sorry for the rambling. Just want to share my thoughts. Keep up the good work, gentlemen and Brad uh lars the prophet of the towering behemoth says with mantha spending time this season looking like uh, he got the ryan o'reilly i have fallen out of love with the game look it may have been time to move on when it was first reported as verona panic uh as a return with maybe more coming in i was rattled but holy crap what a haul should the wings go for linus allmark who isn't accepting sabers contract proposals this offseason 27 he'll be good for about five to six more seasons perfect to tutor wallstead when he comes in I, I, if they don't bring back Bernier, yeah, that's probably an ideal candidate because he, he is good. Um, hasn't done a ton in the NHL yet, which means he'll come in reasonably cheap. So that could be a half decent bet. Asher Killian says, I think we unquestionably won the Mantha trade. The return is great, even if each piece comes with a caveat. The first is in the wrong year. Both picks are effectively end around. Verona is going to be pricey to sign, etc. I hate that the trade had to happen and blame Blashill for destroying the will to play for so many developing talents. I look forward to Mantha blossoming into the new OV in Washington. Three quick questions. Verona is already at $3.35 million. Will he cost more than Mantha's $5.7 million times four years to keep? No. I don't think he'll get that contract. Panics do about $2.7 million each uh, for two more years. Um, does he figure to be anything more than a warm body on the fourth line here in Detroit? Um, 
I, I don't know. He might eat some minutes for Detroit. It really depends on what guys the Red Wings bring in next season to fill because there's a ton of roster turnover com- coming, coming with all the pending UFAs. Uh, we'll see what happens. Ponick is skilled. There is talent there. It's just he does not use it nearly enough. Does Ponick project to be flippable for anything at all in a future deadline? If he finds himself thriving with the Red Wings, maybe, although it's not something I'd put a lot of hope into. View it as a Mark Stahl situation, though not as aggressive as Mark Stahl. Benji, who's going to eat some of our merch, <laughs> says, uh, will Mantha score 35 goals or uh, next year and over 65 points? Also, what merch do you guys sell that's the easiest to eat? Any of those <laughs> winter hats with the big puff ball on the top? Those balls are my favorite. <laughs> This is my favorite, easily the favorite, my favorite thing that happened today where I forget what the exact tweet is. He replied to one of my tweets saying, if, uh, if the Red Wings make a big deal, I will buy some WWP merch and eat it. And of course I saved that receipt. So as soon as it happened, we brought it back up and, uh, yeah, Evan suggested flip-flops and I think I'm on board with that. Uh, someone mentioned flip-flops worn by Evan, and unfortunately, those sell for hundreds of dollars on the black market, so. Yeah, you got, yeah, my uh, my OnlyFans subscribers get first dibs at those. Yeah, Brendan, you talk about uh, Evan's fetish incarnate. It's actually reselling his worn flip-flops. That's what it is. So there's your next Patreon name. Uh, will he score over 35 and over 65 points next year? I'll say no, just because he might not get the minutes to do that with all the talent in Washington. Yeah, he uh the big thing in terms of Mantha's goal total that we have to keep in mind. In Detroit when Mantha was on the ice, he was the trigger man on the power play. He most certainly will not be that guy in Washington. So that's probably going to hurt him more than it helps. Yakaruta says, uh, while the Glendening deal never materialized, we got a nice consolation prize when Eisenman robbed McClellan blind. Are we sure that the Capitals are not employing Chirelli and or Milbury? Uh, you know what? I actually don't think it was that bad for Washington. It could work out really well for them. Uh, Cody Stark says, I hope all the best for Tony, but don't be surprised when in five years he's working for the 2026 Trade Center coverage in French. Um, I, I see him doing better there. Who knows? Um, Mike Seward says, now that we get a late first round pick, who is someone we should be looking to draft? Um, Brad, you mentioned a name earlier, late round goalie. Uh, Sebastian Cosa. I, I probably wouldn't pick him there. It wouldn't be the worst. If, if people are hell bent on a first round goalie, I'd rather do that than Wallstead. Um, I, I wouldn't do either personally. It, Obviously, bias aside, because but I, I really like Francesco Pinelli. Plays in Kitchener here. He's projected late first, early second by most rankings I see. The problem is I haven't really dove too heavily into this part of the draft yet. So even though there's a lot of names there, I think I've seen Cole Sillinger in that range would be someone I would uh, target. But I don't know if he'll fall that far. There's going to be names there, but yeah, I don't have a good feel for that range yet. Jonathan Hurd says, can Verona play center? I'm asking for the Detroit Red Wings. I'm not sure I bank on Verona playing center, although, I don't know. We, Detroit's had a lot of centers not playing center, so <laughs> who knows? He's a winger. Yeah. 
Um, okay. RC Tendi says, now I'm going to miss Mantha quite a bit, but I'm going to say I am extremely excited to see what Verona can do with more minutes and on a line with Larkin and Zadina. Also rooting for an early exit for Washington this year, and they can win it all in 2022. Very reasonable. Andrew Bohan says, looking at the Mantha trade, what compromat does Stevie have on Brian McClellan? Videos of him kicking puppies, photo of him making poutine with shredded cheese. Hey, don't joke. What do you think it is? It's definitely the poutine thing. Uh, Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, I was about to pay for DSN, TSN day pass. My brother out of the blue texts me that we have ESPN plus. So that was a great start. Second, my Caps fan friends are pissed that Verona went the other way. And to think I was about to write a post about how the deadline was disappointing. Um, man, it's so fun that it's not just a first and a second, but it's also Verona to be excited about here. Uh, Jeff Lehman says Verona wears 13. He can't take 13, right? This is my only concern with the trade deadline. I mean, I think the Red Wings would be okay with it because uh, the way Datsuk left. Uh, no, obviously he is not going to wear 13. He better not. Uh, Southeast Mich- Michigan Treatment Center for Delusional Trade and Offer Sheet Speculation says, do you have a loved one who's furious that Luke Lendenning and Mark Stahl didn't fetch first round picks? Do you have a Twitter friend who wants your seller dweller team to offer sheet Elias Pettersson? Does your brother think Jim Benning is, uh, has good ideas? Why is Darren Helm? Each year, thousands of hockey fans reach unfathomable unfathomable limits of overvaluing below replacement level players in their teams while expecting exorbitant trade hauls for each one. Consult the Southeast Michigan Treatment Center for delusional trade and offer sheet speculation for more information on how they can wake up and get their head out of their crackles. Oh, boy. Hey, fellas. Congrats to Eisenman's. Holy shnikes. Thanks to Mantha. I'll be rooting for caps in the playoffs. Hoping Stevie can extend Bernier in the legendary Glenn Denning. Please settle this once and for all. Should Stevie offer sheet Elias Pettersson this offseason? That is actually a full topic for another episode. That is that has to be a deep dive because that is actually a great conversation to have. And I I see both sides of the argument. My short answer is I wouldn't, but it's not a very definitive no. Carol Y says, should there be any concern about Verona being an RFA uh, and not wanting to re-sign with the wings? Um, even if there was, RFAs have next to no like it wouldn't make sense for Verona. This is a fresh start for him. He's going to get top minutes. I just, there's no, there's no concern in my mind there. I'd be shocked if there was. Sam W says, what a day. What do we do with this draft capital and how do we come away with the wall set in addition to our first pick? And how can our path forward somehow lead to drafting Connor Bedard? Um, it's by the Red Wings not getting a lot better. And you know what? If they lost a lot of their five on five defensive suppression and they don't reload it, they're going to suck next year too. So that's how you get Connor Bedard and the Shane Wright ball, the lottery balls and all of that. So Ryan Lee says, now I'm even more excited for the draft. I'm curious to see if Eisman leverages some of his picks to move up or trade outright for younger prospects. It's going to be interesting this offseason to say the least. Third man in says, and to think all that hustling Ken Mickey and the crew did talking about Glenn Denning's face off percentage this year was for naught. Hey, they tried their best. They really did. Now, can they please stop? They might. Matt Whip says, hey, boys, do you think uh, that when Blash leaves, uh, we could see a player pop off under a new coach, uh, similar to William Carlson going from a defensive coach in Torts to Gallant in Vegas? I could see that happening with several players. Okay, uh, time for some Reddit questions here before we wrap up. I know Evan has a very important meeting. He's being interviewed to be the new GM of the Washington Capitals, although you know we might have to match the offer. Um. Klaus Maddox says Zadina and Verona is now the ultimate checking line. Yeah, that's good. 
They just need the center. We got it. We just got to shell out for hurdle. That's fun just f- for the sake of it. Um, GP uh, BRDLL 133 asks about how does this trade and all the others that happened affect who we protect for the expansion draft. That's a bigger topic that we'll cover in a future episode. Um, Russell 18 says my knee jerk reaction to the trade is to look at the prospects ranked in the 20s this year. How are you looking forward to prospect pro- profiles for the vast array of players we could take with that pick? Hey, our our offseason just got made a ton more fun. Yeah, we, we're going to have to we, we kind of dipped our toes into the prospect profiles the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, we're going to have to go heavy now because quite legitimately, we might have to cover upwards of 45 to 60 guys. <laughs> Buckle up. Uh, Evan, pick a number from one to three. Three. I forgot you do that. I forgot I have to mix it up. Mix it up. Gorsh King says, what would it take for the Wings to take on Price or Bobrovsky's contracts? I think it'd be a win-win for both team teams. We need a longer-term solution until we get a prospect ready. If this deadline is saying anything, that would be the biggest King's Ransom the Red Wings could ever walk away with, how much it would cost to unload those contracts. Like, if, if this deadline is saying the prices, I am not doing that for anything less than a high first round pick or the team's best prospect plus right like i can't believe we live in a world where past vesna and heart uh, past vesna and heart winner and another past vesna winner you have to give us assets to take contract their contracts but i agree i i wouldn't i wouldn't touch either of them with a 10 foot pole unless it was a top prospect and a first coming back because they've both already started to drop off and in Price's case, it's been happening for a couple of years. Um, so me thinks their trajectory isn't up. So you're going to be eating a huge cap hit for what will likely be pretty bad goaltending for the majority of that contract, whichever one you take. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up there. Uh what a trade deadline this has been. This does not mean the end of our coverage or our discussions on the trades that transpired both in Detroit and across the NHL. There's plenty more to talk about, but only so much time in the day. So uh, we're actually going to be back with you on Thursday, and then we'll be back to our usual Sunday, Wednesday schedule. So stay tuned for that. We'd like to thank everyone who uh, has tuned into our trade deadline coverage. All new listeners, welcome. Uh, enjoy the insanity. What a great time to come in. We're just going to kick up our... our uh, draft prospect profiles into high gear we've already done a few of them uh farewell to anthony mantha and until next time uh, on the podcast thank all of our listeners our name level sponsors arjun shanker brett bailey terry driver of evans firk wagon taylor tagel uh eves bartels on behalf of the sarah grand foundation uh brandon m citizen high five craig kibble uh evans uh let's call it flip-flop fetish incarnate greech hana lee hassam al Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, uh, Kalen Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Leighton, Evans Bingo Card, Fine, Crisco, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Southeast Michigan uh, Treatment Center for Delusional Trade and Offer offer Sheet Speculation, Stan Olson, Trevor Pevavar. Thank you all so much. What a trade deadline. 
Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.